Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. So let me do a double intro. I, I know that's a little unfair to you, but the book of Daniel, the, the reason I chose to make it a, a study, once, at least once a year I try to do a whole book of the Bible, and Daniel is not just like this friendly Bible study. I mean, it's, it's a challenging book. The first six chapters of the book of Daniel, they deal with uh, historical events, uh, according to Jewish uh, history and some of that. And so that can be fun if you're a history buff. The second, uh, it, it's one of the only books in the Bible that's both historical, because in the Old Testament we have poetry books, we have historical books, and we have prophecy books. Well, Daniel is a little bit of both history, the first few chapters, and prophecy, the next few chapters, the last six chapters. But it's very relevant for us today. The reason it's relevant for us today is because it shows us what culture will look like in the future as it relates to end times. How how many, come on, whether we think we're in end times or not, how many know we're always just a day away from the future? Come on, that's profound, isn't it, huh? Woo, come on now. So we're just, we're, we're just a minute away from stepping into the future. And Daniel, if you really dive into the book, everything that he says about what our world will look like, we are literally watching happen in real time in 2022. I mean, we're watching it. And I'll start connecting the dots as we start exiting out of the book of Daniel, okay? But it doesn't only talk to us about what the future will look like and how we can be prepared for that future. It also teaches us through history how we can live in a culture that is growing chaotic. Because remember, Daniel, they lived in a godly nation. The Babylonian Empire came and seized Jerusalem and took them as slaves to live in Babylon under false little g-gods. And they were no longer a godly nation. And how Daniel and his friends navigate living in a nation that is ungodly gives us some wonderful insight as to how we live our lives in a nation that has become increasingly ungodly. How many have lived long enough to know that's true? That it's just, it it is, our nation hasn't moved more towards God. Am I right about that? It's moved farther away from God. Okay, so what I've already said, the two most familiar stories in the book of Daniel, and I have to remember, we have a lot of people at Radius that have zero church background. And for those of you that do have church background, forgive me for stating some obvious things, all right? But the two most uh, famous stories in the book of Daniel... They're actually separated by about 23 years. The first story is the story of the fiery furnace. Okay, How many have heard of this story before? Okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get thrown into a fiery furnace. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, that's in chapter number 3. But then the second most famous story is the lion's den, Daniel, their friend. He gets thrown into the lion's den. That's in chapter number 6. And chapter 3 and 6 are about 23 years in between. All right? I know I'm giving you a little bit too much history today. But, but here's the deal. In a culture of chaos, these two stories present something to us. I, I'm, I'm going to skim the surface of these two stories and not really make them our central piece today. But these two stories represent... Uh, some very tough questions for us. Because in the first story, we're, we're looking at what 
society wants us to bow to. And in the second story, we're looking at what society doesn't want us to bow to. Come on. So let me me put it in my context, all right? Lord, let the caffeine hit soon. Just, (laughs) Lord, we need that caffeine in everybody, all right? Okay. So let me contextualize that in in the form of a question to you. What will we compromise... In other words, what will we bow to, what will we compromise, and, won't, and what won't we compromise? I'll say it another way, a churchy way, what will we worship and what, what will we not worship? That's a question that every one of us are going to have to ask ourselves as the culture and society grows increasingly ungodly. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are living in a culture that is, that, that is chaotic. And it was the greatest test of their life. Think about it. They're living in a godly nation. They're taken captives. Now they're in an ungodly nation, loving and serving God in a nation that frowns upon that. Come on, how many know that's a big test, right? Some of us are uh, only now seeing our, our faith tested as culture moves more that way. It's one thing to post your personal beliefs, you know. Come on. It's one thing to say, I'm going to tell them on Facebook what my beliefs are about, you know. And we've seen a lot of that in the last two years. So it's one thing to post your personal beliefs. It's quite another to face death while defending the things you posted. Woo, come on. How many know Facebook would shut down if we had to defend what we said, right, everybody? Come on now. In fact, let me make this a tweetable moment. I'm going to put another statement on the board for you. When our beliefs have a price tag, the depth of commitment is discovered. We, as Christians, we like to say we believe in things, especially when society is against those things. We love to post that, no, that's wrong. We believe this way. But when there's a price tag attached to it, when it's more than just flippantly putting something out there and there's a price tag, come on, everybody says God owns everything, but when there's a price tag to letting him be the Lord of your money, then we see the depth of our commitment. Hello, somebody. You had to go there, didn't you, Ken? Yeah, I just thought I would, all right? See, Jesus told us to count the cost when we were looking to follow him. When we thought, when, when he said, look, if you're going to come follow me, you have to count the cost. This is not just a walk in the park. You, you have to be willing to really commit all in. Come on now. It, I, I'm wondering if he's not the Lord of everything, if he's not the Lord of all, is he really the Lord at all? That just came to me. Could you write that note so I could say that again in the second service? All right. <laughs> Now, I said, if he's not the Lord of all, is he really the Lord at all? That's what he wants, that we, he would be the Lord of all. So let's break this, these famous stories down into a couple parts. Number one, let's talk about the commitment, because that's, you know, we're talking about commitment. And, and so when we talk about commitment, we'll go into chapter number three. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are committed to honoring God, even in a culture that doesn't honor God. Now think about it. They're teenage boys, guys. Come on. Is there any men here that remember being a teenage boy? It's like as soon as mom and dad leave, boy, it's going to be a party. You know what I'm talking about? But these guys, mom and dad ain't even around. They're not even around their Sunday school teacher anymore. It's like what? now it is encouraged that you live like this. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are committed 
to living for God and honoring God. And they show us that if we don't stand for something, we're going to fall for everything. Mm. Let's, let's look at it. Let me show you some Bible. Daniel chapter number 3. All right. So, so let me give you the picture. Nebuchadnezzar, remember he's the first king. We're going to see four kings through the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar, he's the first king. He's the one that went and got him and brought him in. And now he builds this golden image. Now, I've highlighted a couple words because I want to zone in on this. And I don't have the time to read all of chapter 3 and all of chapter 6 to you. So you're on your own on that. So I'm just going to pull out a couple of thoughts. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, which is about 90 feet, okay? 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide, and set it upon the plains of Dora in the province of Babylon. As so and then he said, as soon as, you, as soon as you hear the sound, now I've skipped some verses, basically he gathered everybody together, and he says, as soon as you hear the sound, and, and if you read the rest of that, it says, once you hear the sound of the zither, I don't even know what a zither is. Anybody here play a zither? You know, all right, as soon as you hear the zither, basically, if I put it in our language, as soon as you hear the band fire up, I want you to bow. Okay, and I didn't put all that in there yet, but I want you to notice a couple things in this part. Uh, I, I want you to notice that culture is hiding their agenda. Watch this. In images... And sound. Now hold on. I know that can sound a little spooky and mystical for a moment. But if I took that a little bit further, the motivation to get you to bow, if you read the rest of this, is fear. If you don't do it culture's way, then we're going to ostracize you. Then we're going to cast you out of society into this place reserved for people that don't look like, talk like, act like, believe like we do. It's called the fiery furnace. Are you guys here today? All right, so I want you to know that society, listen to this, society is hiding their agenda in images and sound. What do you mean by that? The Bible says whatever we gaze upon is what we become. I wonder how many of us have looked at the world's problems more than we've looked at God's solutions in the last couple of years. I want to ask you the question, what are you gazing upon? What are you looking at? And, and not only what are you looking at, but what are you listening to? What is the voice that is in your ear? Is it the 5 o'clock news? Is it how bad the world is? Is it how terrible life is? What are the images and the sounds that you are listening to? Listen, faith comes by hearing, but guess what, everybody? Fear comes by hearing also. So we have a choice. What are we going to bow to? What images are we going to look at? And what sounds are we going to hear? Right. Mm. Now let me tell you something kind of secret behind this story. And, and you can connect the dots as far as you want to. Nebuchadnezzar builds an idol, everybody. He's building an idol for everybody to worship because he's just captured a whole generation of people that are used to worshiping something. So he is leveraging, watch this, he is using religion to gain political power. Oh, I wish I had the time. He is leveraging what is familiar to godly people to get godly people comfortable enough to do ungodly things. Just stew on that for a minute, all right? He, he's trying to turn their passion from their God by putting politics and power in the form of something they could bow down to. So their passion will no longer... Can I talk about 2020? 
so that their passion will no longer be about their God, but their passion will be about a political statement. Oh, goodness. Does that sound familiar to anybody? So watch what happens. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they say, we're not doing it. From now on, I'm just going to say the three boys, okay? That's hard to say fast three times in a row, all right? So the three guys, they decide, no, we're not doing that, okay? This, we're not bowing to that. So here's what they do. Verse number 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. Now watch how they replied, please. Hey, king, your honor, your majesty. Okay, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I, I, this right here, if we could learn anything through these last two years, Christians, we do not have to prove a point. We don't have to win an argument. We don't have to defend ourselves. We don't have to be right in every argument. Okay, I see heads nodding, so we're getting there. We're, we're coming on. All right. We don't have to defend ourselves. If I could just get some Christians to stop defending your perspective on social media, we'd make a lot more progress. Because in trying to win arguments, we're losing a lot of ground. We don't have to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, if people don't like us because of what we believe and what we don't bow to, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, it doesn't say He will. It says he's able to deliver us. And he will deliver us from, watch how they address him still. They have the ability, Christians hear this, they are in disagreement, but they're still using honor to disagree. Come on, everybody. <laughs> a little more progress. We're doing good. We're doing good, all right? like I'm at a PGA tournament. Yes, bless you, brother. Okay. And, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Please notice once again how, how they refuse. It's not that they refuse to bow. It's how they refuse to bow. It's not hateful. It's not degrading. It's not dishonoring. It doesn't reflect bad on the heart and the picture of God. Because after all, we are his hands and feet. We are the Bible that people are reading. Right, everyone? Okay, so they don't bow. Long story short, you can read this. The king bounds them up. He, he, he ties them up, hands and feet, and he gets some of his guard to throw them into the fiery furnace. After he turns it up seven times hotter, come on, and he throws them in, and the Bible says that those that were throwing him in died from the heat. All right, so, I mean, this is just a crazy thought. So they're thrown in the fire. Let me stop and make a statement here. I think sometimes, I, I, I'm going to use the word everyone and not really necessarily mean everyone, but just as a general statement. So maybe I should better say, a lot of people want to be delivered from the fire. But here's a question. Maybe God isn't interested in delivering you from going into the fire. Maybe he's interested in delivering you while you're already in the fire. Maybe God wants to show off in your life while you're in the fire. Everybody wants a pandemic to end, a particular political party to end, a particular thing to end. But maybe we ought to quit waiting for the thing to end and go ahead and walk through the thing and let God show off in our lives while we're in the thing. Right? 
Otherwise, we are worshiping what God can do for us and in essence becoming His God and making God into a genie that's supposed to fulfill all our wishes. It's not necessarily delivering us through the thing. He's interested in what are we becoming in the middle of the thing. Mm -hmm. So verse number 25, let me get back to the Bible. He said, look, okay, so he throws them in there and they don't burn up. Really cool story though, the ropes that bound them burned off of them. Now, come on, somebody. I didn't get my shirt sleeve singed at all, the Bible says. They didn't even have the smell of smoke on it, but the ropes burned off of them. Come on, God's just... Sometimes I think he has a sense of humor. Like, hey, Gabriel, watch this. Right? Okay, so, so he said, so Nebuchadnezzar comes to the fiery furnace. I don't know what that looks like, but... And he says this, watch this. And I think this is why God wants to show off in the middle of the fire. Because maybe it's how you act in the middle of the fire. Substitute the word fire for anything buzzword that we've used in the last two years. Maybe he doesn't want to deliver you in the, fi in the, in the fire or from the fire. He wants you to go through the fire because of the testimony and witness it could be to the Nebuchadnezzars of life. Nebuchadnezzar says, look, look at this. Look, like, oh my, there's something to this God thing. Mm -hmm. I see four men, wait, I just, I threw three in, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth, I love what he says here, this is interesting, Nebuchadnezzar, he doesn't know God, but he knows the little g-gods. So he's kind of, right here you're going to see a little mixture of him getting a revelation of God, but still understanding his religion better. We see it happen here a lot on Sundays around here when somebody comes to me and says, Ken, that was the best effing message I've ever heard in my life. It's like, I get it. I'm not mad at you. It's the Nebuchadnezzar syndrome, all right? Okay. And the fourth, look, look what he says. Some of you are laughing because you said it. All right. So, And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. He knows he looks like something I've never seen before. He looks like a son of the gods. Now, there's a whole lot of theology wrapped in there. This is actually Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. I don't have time for all that. You guys can study it, though, all right? Nebuchadnezzar then approaches the opening. Watch this. This was a far look. This is a closer look. From a distance, hmm, maybe God kind of... Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants, watch this. As he got a little closer, he realized it wasn't just a God amongst gods. He was the most high God. Come on out of there. I love this. Come on, everybody. He says, come here. I love this. Because I believe there's a day if we live the right way, we don't have to invite people to church. We don't have to beg them to serve our God. We don't have to prove our point. Eventually, if we live in grace and honor, they say, come here. Tell me about your God. Tell me how you got delivered. Tell me how you got out of this mess. Come on. All right. Um, so th this first story is about what you have... Uh, the, the first story is about you have to worship this way. He's saying, here's our culture, here's the idol of our culture, and this is the way you have to worship. Now, hang on to these statements and, and watch in the next five years if you don't see society more and more telling you what you have to bow to. 
I know exactly what's passing through some of your minds, but no, I'm not going there, all right? Okay. The second story that we're getting ready to hit is about what you cannot worship. It all starts with what we want you to bow to, and it will lead to what you can't bow to. It all starts with you better bow to our agenda, our definitions of, you know, all, I, I mean, I, I'd spend my whole message, you better bow to our definition of, you better bow to our way of doing, and then eventually once we've bowed to that, then it becomes what you can't bow to, which brings us 23 years later, because there's a process between that and that. 23 years later, now let's talk about the choice. We talk about the commitment, let's talk about the choice. The choice. King Darius is now the, in, in power, okay? King Darius is Nebuchadnezzar's son. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is done, dead, and King Darius takes over. By the way, Darius likes Daniel. We're shifting into the story of Daniel here in just a second. And, and here's what I want you to know. Daniel 6 is going to show us that we have a choice of what we bow to and what we don't bow to. We have a choice of what we applaud and what we don't applaud. We have a choice of what we're going to compromise and what we're not going to compromise. Right? Okay. So, so um, and, and let me remind you of last week, the spirit of Babylon. Satan is motivated to exalt man above God. Remember he told Eve? He said, come on, if you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. He always wants us to exalt ourselves above God. Watch that happening in a culture that's gone chaotic. It's, always, it's all about me. Uh, so it's the same thing that he did to Adam and Eve. And watch this. That, that mindset, that Babylonian mindset, is a worldview called hedonism. Okay? Hedonism is basically this. Tell me you don't see this in society. The definition of hedonism is whatever works for you is okay. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm not going to cause any ruffles here. I'm not going to, I don't want to step on your toes. Hey, if that's working for you, cool, man. And if that's working for you, and if Satan worship is happening for you, that's cool. I'm being a little silly just to make my point. That's hedonism. Tell me we don't see it in a culture, and we will see it more and more as culture gets more chaotic and farther away from God. It's not about one way. It's about, well, there's a whole lot of ways. And it sounds noble. And it sounds gracious. And it sounds nice. Uh, but whatever works for you has become our culture's God. And we have made a God in our own image rather than worshiping God uh, that's, who already is. Right, everybody? Now, let me just make a statement. Oftentimes, Christians buy into this without even recognizing it. I know we have the Bible, but you know, uh, we, we really come to church because it's about what God's going to do for me. And, and if we're not careful, even Christians think it's all about us. We'll come to church thinking it's all about us. Oh, I need some more God. And, I, I, and God becomes our drug of choice. And church becomes our drug of choice. And, and serving God is almost like having a genie in a bottle. And whenever I need something, I just ask him and quote a scripture to him and come to church. But everybody, I just want to remind us as followers of Christ, this is not about us. This is about Jesus and how he becomes the center of our lives. See, the thing is, is Satan, his goal here in a culture that's gone chaotic is that he doesn't want you to worship God. He wants you to worship 
Okay, let's talk about some things he wants you to bow to. Hey, he, he wants you. I know none of you know anything about this, but let me just preach to those that are watching online this morning. He wants you to worship power. He wants you to worship ambition. And ambition is okay until it becomes bigger than your God. He, he wants you to worship. Okay, let's get to some real things. He wants you to worship sex. He wants you to worship money. He wants you to worship career. He wants you to worship sports. Don't do it. Okay, I won't. All right. He, he, he wants you to worship images and reputation. He wants you to worship your reputation. He wants you to worship success. He wants you to worship the American dream. He wants you to worship the American way. He wants you to worship your political party. He wants you to worship the good old days the way they used to be. He wants you to worship anything except God. Anything except God. He'll even let you worship your particular brand of religion. But don't you be worshiping God. You can come worship your style of church, but don't you be worshiping God. It's a trick to get you to bow to an image of this world and to stop worshiping God. Let's go to Daniel. Daniel chapter number 6, verse number 3. It says, now Daniel, watch these highlighted words, so distinguished himself among the administrators and the set traps that it, uh, by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now watch this. Daniel's taken out of an ungodly nation, brought, excuse me, out of a godly nation, brought into an ungodly nation. And do you think that he gets positions like this by being aggressive and being mean and boycotting and picketing and using hate language? No. He, he, you, if you read this book, you will see Daniel disagreeing but he does it with honor. If there's anything you would hear in this series, please stand your ground and don't bow, but do it with a heart of honor, everybody. All right? Which allowed Daniel then to rise and to gain positions of influence, so much so that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Now, everybody else in the kingdom that worked in the courts is mad about this. They're jealous because how could this godly man come into our, they didn't say this, ungodly place and rise up the way he is. How can he have different beliefs and still rise up? Okay. At this point, the administrators and the set traps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in, in, in his conduct of government affairs. Mm -hmm. In other words, code word, they went to his Facebook and see if they could pull up any garbage on him. All right. <laughs> Okay, you guys know how I feel about Facebook yet? You know, okay, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. Wow, that'd be neat if people could say that about me. No corruption. He hasn't ever said anything out of line, okay? Because he was trustworthy, watch this, and neither corrupt nor negligent. Ooh, I love this. Okay, so they went to plan B. Finally, these men said, we will never find any bias for charges against this man, Daniel. Watch this. Unless it has something to do with his God. Paraphrasing. Spiritual belief. His church attendance. His spiritual beliefs. His worship of God. We can't find anything about his character. But let's find something that messes with who he's bowing to and who he's not bowing to. Right? Okay. So these administrators and set traps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. What else do I got? Is, yeah. The royal administrators uh, 
uh, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict, edict that enforces the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. So they can't find nothing against Daniel, but they don't like him. So they're going to find out something about his worship that they don't. In other words... Wouldn't it be a great day when the world can't pick on our integrity so they have to pick on our God? And when they start picking on our God, God's big enough to stand up for himself. If we quit defending our integrity and our positions and just worry about what God's doing, come on, and honor God, God's big enough to stand up for himself. Is that making sense? And so this is the new law they make. And, of course, you know that you know the rest of the story. He goes and he prays every day and he's praying and all that. So it was in a culture of chaos that Daniel chose to distinguish himself. Did you see? Can you take me all the way back to the first of that, uh, the, the first part of that verse, real quick, all the way up? So now Daniel distinguished himself. He had exceptional qualities. He loved God. The Bible says every day he would pray. He would throw open his windows and he'd pray over the city. And they said, "Aha! Because he's a man of faith, we're going to get him for being a man of faith." And be, even though they set this rule, he chose what he wasn't going to compromise. And he wasn't going to compromise his position with God. And so he goes and prays. They capture him and they throw him into the lion's den. We'll talk about that in a minute. But here's what I really want to look at. He distinguished himself. He set himself apart. To be a Christian means to be set apart. It doesn't mean to be weird. It means to be set apart. It doesn't mean to be, I'm ready to fight. It doesn't mean to be antagonistic. It means to be set apart. Hello, everybody, right? That's what it means. And Dan, watch this. God put, God put the exceptional qualities in him, but Daniel had to do the distinguishing. God didn't make him pray. He had to do the distinguishing. Let me give you the working definitions real quick. Uh, so exceptional means extraordinary, uh, extraordinary, gifted, and rare. Uh, distinguishing means to be set apart, to recognize as distinct, okay? Um, so the fact of this is that Daniel did the distinguishing. Friends, you have to do the distinguishing. And again, I know I'm overriding this horse, but we have to do it with honor and integrity. We distinguish ourselves, okay? Now, usually distinguishing ourselves means stepping out in faith. And sometimes that means being tested. And sometimes that means being thrown into the fiery furnace. Anybody been in one of those? And sometimes it means being thrown into the lion's den. Anybody been in one of those, right? Okay. When you declare, uh, when, when you choose or you declare or distinguish yourself, people will look at you and try to figure out why is your business profiting? Why is your marriage so happy? Why do you have peace when all hell is breaking loose? Why is your joy so contagious? Daniel did the distinguishing. How did he do that? Okay, now I gave you a lot of historical background. What I want to do now is I want to turn it into something applicable. I don't have time to read all of Daniel 6 to you, so if you want to read it later on your own, you go for it. But I want to talk to you, what did, what did Daniel tangibly do that distinguished himself so that he could be blessed in an ungodly culture? 
Okay? So this is your take home. If you ignored the last 20 minutes, okay, that's great. Pay attention to the next 15. All right, everybody? Fair deal? Okay, all right. You can ignore 20, just give me 15. All right, here we go. So, so number the first thing that Daniel did is that he embraces the ordinary. All of these you'll find in the life of Daniel. I'm just putting them in my own terms. So he embraces the ordinary. One of the things we've got to be willing to do is em- embrace the mundane, boring, ordinary, everyday, no attention, behind the scenes, no fanfare, just consistent life in the Lord. Come on now. I'm going to talk to God a lot of days to Him about a subject before I go on some platform and talk to the world about a subject. And I'm not just talking about preachers. Because we live in a day where everybody has a microphone and everybody has a voice and an outlet for that voice. So before I share my opinion, I'm going to talk to God in a lot of ordinary days before I try to show up for an extraordinary day. See, see, Daniel didn't develop his faith when he was in the lion's den. He developed his faith all the days before the lion's den ever got there. He proved faithful in the simple things, in the ordinary things. He embraced the ordinary. Daniel was faithful in the ordinary. And by the way, let me just say this. You cannot have extraordinary without a whole lot of ordinary behind it. All right? All you'll have is extra. Extra what? Exactly. Okay? All right. When Daniel, uh, first, let me show you this. When Daniel went to the Babylonian Empire, he was 16 years old. When he came out of Babylon, he was 90 years old. And in all of those years, we read one or two super exciting, extraordinary stories. Daniel in the lion's den. Woohoo! Yeah, but from 16 years old to 90 years old, we got one extraordinary story. And what we don't read about is all the ordinary, everyday, boring, praying when no one's watching stories. Mm-hmm. Can, so here's the question we have to ask about it. Can you remain consistent in a culture that has gone chaotic? In other words, are you willing to be ordinary and do the consistent, everyday things when the world is storming all around you? Okay? Everybody still with me? I know. This book is a tough one, all right? So let's go a little farther. No, uh, the, the second thing that he did, and you'll find all these qualities, he increased his capacity. And I'm, I'm going to wrap it up with this. Daniel increased his capacity. He came as a slave. He went through three years of their school. He served in their courtyards. And he was eventually elevated to a place where he was going to be over what? The entire kingdom? A 16-year-old boy as a slave? And now he's going to be all this? Daniel increased his capacity. Church, it is not enough that we meet together and have our little holy huddles in a world that has gone crazy and talk about how bad the world is. No, that's not why we're here. we got to come together so that while we're together honoring God, we're here to increase our capacity so we don't keep light in a little building back here, but so that we can go and infect and affect a world that needs the light of Jesus Christ. And watch this. As I said last week, we don't do it from the center of the stage anymore. We do it by feeding the homeless and and helping the single moms and and having drug rehab centers and contributing to the very society that we're in rather than only criticizing the society that we're in. Can I get an amen on that, everybody? Right? Okay. 
So let me talk to you about increasing capacity, and I'll end with this. I'm going to give you three, but before, let me, let me prelude it with a story. I had a pastor friend who went to preach or speak at a retreat for leaders, and he got there early. He threw his stuff in his, they had like cabins. He threw his stuff in the cabin. He thought, man, I'm early. People haven't even arrived yet. I'm going to go down to the pool, and I'm going to go swimming. So he goes down to the pool to go swimming. And there was one other guy in the pool. And guys, you can relate to this. Guys are kind of competitive by nature. Any, give me a grunt if you know that I'm... Okay. Yeah? And, and so I see wives patting their husbands. Yes, right. Okay. And, and, and so he goes down to the pool. And basically, there was one other guy down there. And it got to be a conversation. And the guy that was down there said to my pastor friend, he said, I bet you can't hold your breath underwater for one minute. Doesn't that sound like a guy, guy thing? Come on now. I bet you can't do it, huh? And he said, okay, I'll take that challenge. I bet I can do that. And so he goes under, he takes a deep breath, he goes under the water. And my friend tells a story like this. He said, man, at 15 seconds, I'm like, this is easy. This is cake, man. I got this. He said at 30 seconds, he's like, well, this is kind of hard. This is getting a little tough. At about 45 seconds, he started confessing secret sins in his mind. Oh, God, forgive me, you know. And then at 50 seconds, he said that he's seen visions of Jesus under the water, all right, reaching for him to pull him out. He exploded out of the water at 60 seconds and did it just at one minute. And the guy wasn't very impressed. The guy said, that's pretty good for your first attempt. Like, I'm going to dare you to do some more. And as much as he was out of breath, he's a guy. He has to take the next challenge. And what he found out in the conversation was the guy that was challenging him, he was a consultant that helped corporations expand their capacity. And he gave him a simple exercise. He said, you know, your mind does not understand what your body is capable, so I want you to do it again, and I guarantee this time you can do it for two minutes. My friend looked at him and said, man, it, I, I almost lost my life doing it for one minute. He said, well, I'm going to give you some instructions, all right? So before you go under the water, I want you to take four deep breaths. So everybody do No, I'm just kidding. All right. <laughs> so he took four deep breaths, and he said, I want you to just relax, put your face in the water, and just float there. Don't try to keep yourself under. And, and he said, I'm going to count for you because your ears will be up out of the water. And he started counting. And he said, when I get to 45 seconds, I want you to breathe out. And he said, when I get to 60 seconds, I want you to open your eyes and I want you to find something under the water to focus on. And, 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 and so he did that. Well, what he didn't know until later is when he told my friend it's 45 seconds, it was actually 60 seconds. He lied to him, all right, basically. What he was doing was tricking his brain to expand his capacity. Mm-hmm. My friend tells the story, and he says, on the second try, he did it for two minutes and 45 seconds, his second try. Come on now, right? Now watch this. You think that's crazy. Later, he did it one more time, and he did it for uh, three, like three and a half minutes. I'm passing out thinking about it, right? Here's the fact. The fact is there is more inside of you for God to use than the mind can comprehend. And usually our best comes out when we are in the fiery furnaces and the lion's dens of life. Come on now. So what if we quit trying to get back to the good old days and recognize we're in the very days that God created us and birthed us to be in because there's something in us that will cause us not to bow and to keep bowing. Right, everyone? Right. Okay, so let me just end with three things to consider increasing your capacity. Here they are. I'll go quick, all right? Uh, and I just want you to pick one of them. I want you to leave here just picking one. 
I don't want you to do all three. Here they are. Number one is expand your connections. Some of us just need to get connected more. Do you know we get weirder the more we do life alone? It's true. If all you're doing is sitting in front of Facebook by yourself and no one's cross-checking what you're going to post, you're a weirdo. You are saying some crazy stuff that I promise you five years from now you'll go, oh my, why did I say that? Uh, when you do life alone, come on, has anybody ever seen the show American Idol? All those people that get up there and say, oh, my grandma told me I can sing. I'm going to be the next American Idol. And they start singing and dogs start howling. Here's what I know. They're not connected to nobody because nobody that has a friend would let a friend go on national television and do that. Pants on the ground. You know what I'm saying? All right. You know, it's true. So listen, whoever you're listening to and whoever you're reading and whoever you're watching, remember I started the message with the images and the sounds. Whatever your images, whatever your sounds, that's who you're becoming. If all of your sounds and all your images are what's going on in the world, that's who you're becoming. That's who you're reflecting. The Bible says that we become what we gaze upon. So who are you connected to? What are you connected to? Um, uh, let's see. Uh, let me tell you a real quick story. Many of you have heard me, especially those guys in my life group. I tell this story often. I was just becoming a dad. I think, I think Jake was like four and Janessa was like two, and I was scared to death of being a dad. I didn't grow up with a dad, and all the men in my life were knuckleheads, and I didn't want to be like them. But there was a guy in my church. His name was Mike Klein. Four of his seven daughters. I didn't stutter. Seven daughters. Four of his seven daughters were in my youth group, and they stood out. They distinguished themselves. They were heads and tails above everybody else. They honored their parents. They were never in trouble. And they weren't weird. You, you know, they didn't look like Holly Hobby. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. So, come on. You guys know what I'm talking about or not? Okay. And so, Mike Klein didn't even know this because in order for two things to be close, only one thing has to move. Watch. That table won't move, but watch me get closer to it. So Mike Klein became my mentor, and Mike Klein didn't even know he became my mentor because I began to watch him like an eagle. I would watch when his girls would go talk to him. I would watch how he talked to them and how they talked to him. I would watch them interact. I would watch them. I would get around them as often as I could because I needed to, in order to be a better dad, I had to expand my connections. Who are you connected to? We, now, I don't just preach that. We give you on-ramps to do that. It's called life groups. Guys, you have to get connected. We are moving. Moving into a culture of chaos, and if you're not connected, it's going to be harder for you not to have someone else in the fiery furnace with you that said, I ain't doing it. Are you doing it? I ain't doing it. How about you, right? Come on. If you don't know anything about our life groups, go to our webpage or see Mark right here. Everybody knows Mark by now, okay? All right, number two is strengthen your character. So you got to expand your connections. Number two is strengthen your character. Um, here's a terrible lesson I learned in my life. Is that you can, talent can get you to the top, but only character can keep you there. Um, and if I have the time, I'd tell you, but I will at least say this. I had some character flaws, and I learned, I learned some hard lessons that talent can open doors for you, but only character can keep you in those doors. Don't just depend on your talent, because everybody has a spiritual gift. Everybody has a talent, but not everybody has character. Hmm. Um, I, I learned this, um, I'll, I'll give you one. I didn't really trust people because of the way I grew up. So, so I kept P 
people at a distance and I led from a platform only, that was a character issue. I had to let God strengthen my character so that I didn't measure my future relationships based on my past relationships. And if all you do is keep carrying around the same yardstick that measured your past, you'll continue to do the same thing in the future. Strengthen your character. I'm out of time, so let me do the third one. The third one is this. I'm only asking you to pick one. Increase your commitment. Increase your commitment. Increase your commitment to live in godly in an ungodly nation. Increase your commitment. Uh, this is where we started this whole message today. The boys were committed to, I'm not bowing to your idols. I'm not bowing to your culture. I'm not going to be mean and ugly and nasty and stinky about it. But I'm just not going to do it that way, your majesty, my king. Okay? If we will over, if we're going to overcome in a culture of chaos, we'll need to move beyond a casual desire. I think one of the things we're seeing in society right now is a lot of people are moving beyond a casual desire. If you're just loosely affiliated with God, when the fire is heated up and the lion's den is before us, eh, I'm not sure I'm really sold out to God. we got to increase our commitment, everybody. What area in your life can you increase your commitment? Let me give you an example. Okay, as a nation of Christians, I'm talking to Christians at large, not to you, but Christians at large. If you want to put yourself in there, that's, that's up to you. But we say we're committed to the work of God. Yet nationally, those that claim to be Christians, only 30% of them contribute to the work, financially contribute to the work of God. Only 30% of all Christians in America, only 30%. What? We have to increase our commitment. Right now, we are feeding, we are helping with a few other churches. We are feeding 65% of a city that's, that has about 18,000 people in it. You, every dollar you give, we're given $10, of, or we're given 10% of every dollar you give to help feed people that don't have an education and have been left behind in the dust of an old cult. And how many know if we're going to make it in these chaotic culture, we have to increase our commitment, not just so that we make it and don't bow, but so others can make it and not bow. Am I right about that? Come on, everybody. All right? Okay. I, I did have a third point. I don't have time to preach it, but I'll at least put it on the screen. All right? The third point was, so we got the commitment, we have the choice, and then there's the companion. Let me just close this one by saying this. Don't you love the part of the story when the guys are not delivered from the fire? Isn't the story so much more like Hollywood? The fact that God didn't come and like put out the fire, but that he let him go in the fire. We're reading and going, yeah, put him in the fire and watch God. Oh, me? No, don't put me in the fire. Just come on, God, you know, right? But put him in the fire. Watch this. Watch it because we know the rest of the story. You know the rest of the story for you, too. Nebuchadnezzar looks over and there's a companion who looks like the Son of God. We have a companion walking through this with us. We don't have to have it all together, guys. I know I pick on some things here. We don't have to have it all together. Jesus lived in a chaotic culture and he had it all together. And in him we live. And in him we move. And in him we have our very being. Amen, everybody? Come on. All right. Would you stand with me? Uh, I want to close in a prayer and a song.